Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means on Thursday, of course, I was uh, very deep into the Oversight Committee's report on Dan Snyder and the Commanders organization after months of wondering when this would come out. It finally dropped on Thursday. Obviously, we've got to discuss that. Uh, Grant Paulson from 106.7 and I just chatted a few minutes ago to discuss what we found most interesting in this uh, in that report. Uh, obviously, there's the the basis of the, the investigation into the organizational culture, but there was a lot of extra details in there within both testimony released from Dan Snyder and former President Bruce Allen. Not only did they talk about the culture, but got into Trent Williams' contract, Carson Wentz's uh, trade, some interesting things. So Grant and I went through a bunch of that stuff uh, for sure. We also, of course, talked about the team right now. We got into I'm we got into the Heineke Wentz of it all, but I used Baker Mayfield as a way to 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 look at it perhaps differently than we've been discussing before. Because uh, if you didn't see, Baker Mayfield had an unbelievable game or an unbelievable finish, I should say, in Thursday night's game for the Rams. He'd only been there for one day and leads them to a comeback win with a 98-yard drive with less than two minutes to go. But we'll get to that. We'll talk Chase Young, Brian Robinson as well. Uh, of course, you want to miss, you want to make sure you don't miss any of the podcasts. Go to uh, iTunes, Spotify, subscribe there. And also uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. We've been covering the Dan Snyder story as well as Everything else that's going on with this team, I look back at the offense and the defense this week as well. Um, I want to just uh, – oh, well, by the way, just for – if you're wondering, Ben, how come you're putting out this now? Oh, by the way, Croatia just beat Brazil in the World Cup as I'm discussing this with you. Wow, that's a pretty uh, humongous upset. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit late on this, so just to be transparent. I, I was actually taking off a couple days this week. It is the bye week, of course, and, you know, it's a, you know, whatever. I'm not complaining. It's a fun job we all have. So this is, you know, it's not really work. But, you know, I haven't taken a day off since the season started or really since training camp. So that was the plan. And then the report dropped. So I had to deal with the report. But then I I, I just didn't, you know, couldn't get my, couldn't get to the podcast. Yesterday, Grant and I spoke. He said we would do it today. So that's why we're here. So, so we'll get to all that. I spoke, of course, earlier in the week also with Jay Gruden. We talked more about the team. Well, at that point, we only talked about the team. We didn't have the report here, the report yet. One last thing, and then I'll get to my conversation with Grant. I'm talking to you on Friday, Saturday, the Wizards host the LA Clippers. That in and of itself is not that notable, except that John Wall will be playing for the Clippers in his first game back here before fans. He played here with uh, when he got traded to Houston, but that was during COVID year and there were no fans. So should be a pretty exciting uh, time at, at the uh, Saturday night in Chinatown. It's a bummer that Bradley Beal won't be there because he's injured, but hopefully people have a chance to go out and see Wall. I'm planning on going. I have not been to a Wizards game in person this year, but I am planning on going. So excited for that. All right. Um, let's just get to it here. Here is my conversation with Grant Paulson breaking down what we learned out of the uh, oversight committee's report. And we talk also about the commanders right now. 
here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Uh, joining me here to discuss all things commanders, including, of course, yesterday's congressional report about the investigation into the organization is a guy who spent a bunch of his radio show yesterday on 1067 The Fan doing just that, Grant Paulson, of course, at Grant, but at Grant H. Paulson, right? You got it. All H. right. Two to, two to 630 on 1067 The Fan. He's up in Philadelphia right now because the Army-Navy game was there, and uh, 1067 sent him up there because he's a patriotic kind of a kid. Um, yeah. So yesterday, it finally happened. Like, We'll get to the details, but just like, what were you thinking? Like, we're like, okay, we've been waiting for months. Here it is. Good, bad, or indifferent. What were you thinking? Like, okay, we're, we're finally here. Well, it felt like it was imminent, right? Because, you know, without getting into all the politics of everything, I mean, the, the folks that run the House Oversight Committee only have control of the House Oversight Committee until the end of the calendar year. And when the Republicans take the House over, which is coming, uh, this thing was going to be gone and dead and all their work was going to be for naught. So if they were going to release something, they had to release it in the next three weeks, essentially. Obviously, it wouldn't make sense to do it the week of the holidays. So the further out from that, the more sense it made. So you kind of thought it, it was coming at some point, if anything was. But yeah, there was a finality to it after months and months of wondering and speculating and and, and just kind of assuming what might be in it or what it might look like to see that uh, they finally came to a conclusion and came forward with their findings uh that in and of itself kind of was a, a big deal uh it was uh i i think like i you know i don't want to say it was a, it, it definitely was not a letdown right because from the there were so many nuggets that we we can get into from particularly things behind the scenes on the football side the trent williams contract who was who was uh whose idea was Carson Wentz to trade for Carson Wentz, according to Dan Snyder and also just Dan Snyder's basic involvement. But I think the interesting thing is there's a different national versus local perspective on the story. I think for a lot of us, for, for the national story, it is, you know, the Dan Snyder oversaw this terrible culture, participated in this terrible culture and didn't particularly help the, um, the, the oversight committee, in their attempt to just, you know, to learn more about what happened. I don't think any of that was surprising to us. So for, I think for, at least for me, and I wonder about it for you, like it doesn't feel like to me, that wasn't the headline, even though I understand that, that it was the headline, you know, if that makes sense, it was the other stuff that we'll get to. That was kind of more interesting, I think in the moment. Yeah. I mean, if you've been following this thing closely and you're in the weeds on this thing, like you and me, and so many of the people probably listening to this podcast have been in the D.C. area. Like there wasn't a lot new or, or anything necessarily new in terms of developments. What you got, though, was detail. Right. So like where we know that an investigator followed Bruce Allen around that Dan Snyder hired to dig through his trash and, to you know, watch him go to the store. Uh, we got anecdotes on that and we found out that Bruce uh, found out that he had a PI because his wife saw a car running outside of their house for multiple days. And so Bruce brewed some coffee, like a scene out of a movie and walked out to the car and offered the guy coffee. And uh, the worst... when you, when you picture that, do you picture him like in a bat, like a white bathrobe with, with like some slippers on just right. casually strolling out there? Absolutely. Uh, and then the, you know, maybe the worst PI in the world just immediately tell 
pretty hilarious. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we got scenes like that, um, you know, that, that added color to this whole thing. Uh, I think there were major developments uh, of, of some of the things we already assumed that we now kind of, I would say, are more confident in, a la uh, the fact that the commanders probably leaked the John Gruden emails that got him fired uh, as a way to get at Bruce Allen. Uh, those emails, we saw dozens and dozens of Bruce Allen emails with Gruden in the same kind of chain with the same group of people. Um, you know, they had those emails and the league had those emails. And according to Bruce Allen's testimony, he went to the league and said, how could you do this? Why would you leak them? And and Lisa Freel of the NFL said we didn't. The commanders did. That's the, the closest to a smoking gun you're going to get to know that they did release the emails. And there's a, a cold irony to that because the release of those emails led to the House Oversight Committee investigation. And, and I guess that's what I would say about people that say, oh, this was nothing burger or this didn't net anything. But you got to understand that if not for this House Oversight Committee investigation and all of the interviews and interrogations or, or um, testimonies that came from it, you know, there are so many other investigations that have happened that all add up to the end of Dan Snyder in a lot of ways, it would appear. So I guess the report itself, because of you know the stories in the Post and the Athletic and some of the other places where we found a lot of this stuff out, isn't new, but this investigation led to a lot of the other investigations and things that have become paper cuts that I think are bleeding Dan Snyder out. And so it's, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to say, whether you agree with the House Oversight Committee spending the time and the energy and the money on this or not. Uh, if you're excited about the end of Dan Snyder, that I don't think, you know, all of this would have happened probably if they didn't take this fight up because they were the only ones that seemed willing to at that time. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I've said before on here that I don't know that I really buy that the Oversight Committee was really looking into, I'm sure they want to help fix workplace culture. I'm not arguing that, but like this this investigation, like they, they didn't bring in anybody else. They didn't bring in CEOs from other companies. They didn't bring in anybody else from other teams. It was just a Dan Snyder focused thing. So it was to me, you know, this isn't a political issue, kind of like in, a, in, an, in an election year, maybe they're trying to score political points. But put that in aside, in terms of the, the commanders, like you said, it was a it it kept the story alive throughout the last. I mean, it's gone for fourteen months, right? It's kept this story alive without the Tiffany Johnston reveal that came out that her allegations against Dan Snyder specifically. We're not getting this second Mary Joe White investigation, which yeah, and in that in that allegation, you know, you can make the case it's probably the second biggest uh, direct allegation or issue for Dan Snyder in all of this other than what happened on that airplane with a woman coming back from the CMAs back around 2009 I think it was but yeah the, the Johnston allegation is massive I mean and and that led to Mary Jo White and Mary Jo White's investigation which I'm sure the league is in some way being kept abreast of and briefed on is is going to lead to something else whether that's other owners crossing the line to say let's vote this guy out or you know, possibly even before it gets released, you know, the league knowing that there's enough there that maybe, you know, they could try to talk Dan into selling. I mean, we're not really sure what the fallout's going to be until we see that report. But you're right about the politics of it. Like, I mean, I, I don't get into politics on my show either, and I'm not overly interested in politics, to be honest. But it is, it's fascinating that even this became so political to the point where, you know, you you had a rebuttal like it was the State of the Union 
from the GOP yesterday. Right. So there was a 79 page document issued by the House Oversight Committee, which was essentially only the Democrats on that committee that, that wanted to do that. And so then the, the Republicans on that committee released their own documents that were twice as long to basically say we disagree with them. And I think whether, whether you agree or disagree with the idea that the, the HOC um, should have done this, like it's a reasonable enough argument to basically say if if, if the Republicans in the House Oversight Committee just said, hey, um, look, we probably shouldn't have done this or we didn't need to do this or why didn't we investigate all these other teams and, you know, whatever. They didn't stop there, though. There, there are hundreds of pages. They come to their own conclusion, basically, where Bruce Allen is a big mean jerk and, and they release all these documents about Bruce Allen and they talk about how Dan Snyder is not the problem. And it, the whole that, that was the weirdest thing of the day to me, honestly, was, was the the GOP response that wasn't just <laughs> we shouldn't have done this. It was actually stop being mean and leave Dan Snyder alone because Bruce Allen's really the bad guy. It, it's it, it, yesterday was crazy. I mean, I just I didn't see any of that coming. No, you're right. That 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 part was 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 wild, and and it was a lot of interesting things within the testimony that they released for Snyder and Allen uh, for their respective testimonies. The um, but, but to, to the one larger point, at least in terms of this organization from the football perspective, the fact that we're you know the next shoe to drop is is Dan Snyder going to sell, and all of this, as we said, essentially stemmed from the release of the Gruden emails. That led to the House Oversight Committee. That led to to their investigation. That's leading to this second Mary Jo White investigation. That's led to constant coverage of this for months and months and months now. And I've talked to multiple people who, prior to that, thought this was over. That that they really thought that after the NFL, you know, chose to not release the Wilkinson report and you know gave Dan Snyder the you know the ten million dollar fine and you know, sort of said, hey, double secret probation, kind of stay away from day-to-day operations, though he claims that didn't happen really. Um, it was it was dead. It was it was over. And then this sparked it. And that is what is ironic. If he actually ends up selling the team, which I, I still at this point would, would think that happens, <laughs> it really is the ultimate unforced error, it would appear. Uh, again, we don't know for fact, but like you said, what what Bruce Allen said was about as much of a smoking gun as we're probably going to get, and that is really just the irony of the of the whole thing. Yeah, you don't release the emails, none of this happens. It's almost like being petty, and uh, you know, a jerk comes back to bite you, which <laughs> uh, you know, which is kind of the story of this whole thing. I mean, had he have had some good goodwill built up, you know, if he didn't have enemies everywhere, if he had treated some people better along the way, I don't think uh, coverage isn't even the right word, but. I don't think you'd see the same reactions and, and the same fervor with everything going on to remove him. But when for 20 plus years, you cut, you're a tornado and, and you look in your way and everything is damaged and broken and everyone you treat the same way, it seems like uh, largely, then you you're just don't have allies. And he doesn't. No one feels bad for him. There's a, a lack of empathy for what's going on and, and the people coming after him and, and, you know, with some of these allegations in the workplace and then the women and the fact that there are actual victims here, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, to your point. Now the question becomes what happens. And I do think he's selling. And, and I, I don't even know that it has anything to do with the allegations about um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, or even 
the misconduct in the worst play, workplace, to be honest with you. I think he's selling because, in my opinion, I don't think he can financially make this work for the long haul. I think he has to get a minority owner. I don't think he'll be able to or that the league would even vote to allow him to. I think they have him between a rock and a hard place where I think they basically gave him rope. And they're going to walk into the house and, you know, they're going to see that their plan worked at some point in, in the sense that he needed money that they gave him for him to pay back, that for him to get to pay them back, he'll almost certainly need a minority owner, which he isn't going to get. So you're not going to be able to get a stadium without public money not happening. You have to pay a loan back, which I don't know if financially he'll be able to do. I guess we'll see. Uh, but my opinion is, based on money and almost nothing else, he's probably going to have to sell. He'll make billions, and he'll walk away and tell everyone he's a great businessman because I just broke a record for how much I sold a sports team for. No no doubt. I, I agree with all that. Plus, as we recall, the uh, Tanya Snyder getting booed moment that that may have had an influence on the situation. It's one thing for him to get trashed. It's another thing for his wife uh, too. Um, but let's get, okay. So we've talked about a lot of these things before and again, it's important stuff. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy if the, not only did Congress keep this afloat, so did the, the various former employees, particularly, you know, several women like M- Melody Coburn and Megan Imbert on Twitter constantly discussing, you know, release the report and going on various shows like yours and mine and whatever. If the, if they get any satisfaction out of any of this, then then I'm happy for them. But but let's pivot to the football stuff here because this is also where like for people like you and me, there was some interesting insight here into this. Now let's start with the Trent Williams part. If the GOP's point was to say why why like they, the, part of their criticism was that the Democrats didn't question Bruce Allen on his role in any of this or on the emails or any of that stuff. And you know, without getting into the weeds of that, if you can't wrap your brain around that or don't care, the Trent Williams uh, part is an interesting entry point into the credibility here of the people involved. Because let's, let's go back through some of the timeline here on this. So go back to 2019. Of course, Trent Williams, he's, he holds out the whole year because he is angry over the organization's handling of his medical situation. He's got a bump on his head. They kept saying it was nothing, and then eventually it turns out it's cancerous. He's got to go through several surgeries. It's very scary stuff. Okay. That day, November 1st, he's, he comes back to the team to – he comes back to the team the day before from, like, a contractual aspect so he, you know, so he gets counts towards his year's credit in the league, whatever. And then the next day, he he amazingly sat in the locker room and talked to a bunch of us for a while about about the whole situation. And he said, you know, look, I, there's no there's no trust anymore with the organization over everything. And okay, but he said also that he didn't that he largely held si- stayed silent up till that point because of his respect for Snyder. And he said, "quote I love him to death," right. Now, let's just put a pin in that. The reason I'm mentioning this is because Bruce Allen, when he gave his testimony about about, about this, by the way, it's it's hilarious to me that Congress spent any time asking questions about Trent Williams' contract or, Car- or who, who wanted Carson Wentz. I got to know, like, was there a commander's fan in there? 
Can you imagine? Well, the... I think the point they're trying to make is he wasn't hands off. No, no, a hundred percent. I'm just saying it's funny though to see these questions it is being funny. asked. It is funny. Uh, yeah, they're, they're trying to connect how hands on he was on one side to show that he was also hands on um, on the other side. Uh, but where is hold on? Where is this uh, Bruce Allen quote here? He says. Um, he says essentially uh, that he and uh, and Trent Williams had a great relationship. That's a quote, especially during this time. And then he says that we could have re-signed him. He's an elite player. He's a great football player. A great football player. And Dan said no. He said not one dime. Find him the max. And that's what we did. And I recall, memories can get fuzzy, but I recall that the uh, the belief was that it was in fact Bruce Allen of the two that Trent Williams had much more of a beef with, and I still think that's the case based on some other things that uh, Trent Williams said over time. So that part was interesting to me. And again, if we're talking about credibility, I guess I, I mean this is it's different talking about this than sexual harassment. But I just mean like the like Bruce Allen's comments to me here don't completely ring true. Braces off what I know. What what did you take of of that uh, part? Yeah, it didn't check out necessarily with what I know. Here's the problem, though, is basing, you know, what we hear people say to the media as fact is also like as, as what we're checking this up against is also, I think, uh, dangerous, if that makes sense. Like, so we're confirming or denying what Bruce said based on what Trent Williams said to the media. I mean, is he going to come out and say he hates Dan Snyder? I, I don't know. You know, like how many times do guys lie? I, I can't tell you how many times. I'm sure this happens to you, covering a team or a player or whoever, where a coach will say one thing at the podium and then text me or tell me afterwards, "Hey, you're actually right," and and completely go against what they just said at the podium or a player or whatever. So, I, I don't know. I, I guess it would hold up in court that Trent Williams said he loves Dan Snyder, I and mean, maybe he does. I have no idea, but. Yeah. I'm just always leery about taking those types of things as gospel. I mean, in what we do in practicality in real life covering a football team, you have to. But if we're now saying, did Bruce lie or is he telling the truth? I I don't know. Maybe him and Trent Williams, you know, were good buddies and they made fun of Dan all the time. (laughs) And when it was convenient for Trent to to say that he hated Bruce and Bruce ruined it because everyone hated Bruce and it was an easy punching bag, you know, he played that card publicly. Like I have no idea. Yeah, And I, I I can't pretend, in other words, that because he told the media in the locker room one time that he, he loves Dan, that he loves Dan. I don't know that any one player has ever said they have any issue with Dan in the locker room, right? It wouldn't make a lot of sense to do that. Um, For sure. The one, one Now, he did – part of the reason why I branched into this is that when he was asked about Bruce Allen that day, and I, I look back at my story for, at that point, I wrote it. I wrote down that he paused and then said, next question. So he didn't say anything. He didn't want to even discuss Bruce Allen. And then uh, one of um, uh, uh, my followers on Twitter, at Resh Manual, pointed out to me yesterday, he pointed out that Trent Williams documentary from um, a couple of years ago, sort of detailing his career and, you know, everything he went through. And in there, there's a passage that he says, as he's explaining why that that for him this that whole holdout was about the medical not the money he says that when he came back to the to the building dan snyder pulled him into his office 
said to him, look, do me a favor, play out the rest of the season and I'll basically give you a blank check to which Trent Williams said the money was right there. So if this was about the money, you know, I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't, I could have just moved on. So if he- yeah, I, but I do uh, remembering covering that and talking to him and his agent and, and all that stuff. I always thought money was a heavily involved factor. In oh, that. sure. No, I no, mean, but but I'm saying if you unless he's lying that Dan Snyder said I'll give you a blank check, which obviously not a literal, but I mean, if you're gonna say I'll pay you, then that would go against the idea that Dan Snyder said don't give him a dime. Now I do now Bruce Allen I don't believe it says when Dan Snyder said to him, We won't give you a dime, because I do think that once Trent Williams started to blast everybody, that may have been when things had perhaps turned from Snyder's perspective. Uh, they did stand by him. Uh, Kevin Sheehan pointed out this to me earlier today, reminded me, I should say, that um, you know, they stood by him when he was uh, suspended for games for uh, marijuana and things like that, and that uh, the organization, you know, was 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 there for him. So maybe, and also like they flew him out to the hospital on Dan Snyder's plane, initially, whatever. So maybe at that point Snyder perhaps turned, and maybe that is where Bruce Allen's point comes in but in any event i that was just interesting just to see the 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 behind the view there of of what was going on with the trent williams deal yeah for sure i mean uh, you know it's it's hilarious that like I'm, i'm reading clips about uh bruce allen and trent williams in 2022 because like a congressman in washington state asked them about it it's just funny it's so funny all right so then we get carson wentz this one's almost even funnier to me um Again, Dan Snyder talked this summer, and he's asked about how involved he was with Carson Wentz. And again, to the point, it seemed like an odd question to be asking it a because like a question you and I would be discussing on like your radio show. How odd do we think Dan Snyder pushed for Carson Wentz? That ESPN report that came out in Week Six, uh, detailing Dan Snyder's issues with his other owners. Part of the story was that he pushed Carson Wentz on. Ron Rivera, to which post game that game against the Bears, Rivera came out and just like you know screamed and 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 blasted everybody for even suggesting this. He said it was absolutely him. I, I, I was the expletives in the quote. He's the one that broke down the tape. He's the one that pushed for it. All that stuff. Um, so all that is fascinating. And then, so so then to hear go back in time and hear what Dan Snyder said in July about Carson Wentz and the idea of where it came from is amazing because he didn't say it was him. He didn't say it was Ron Rivera. He said it was Martin Mayhew. Yeah. Hilarious. I mean, I just know the way around that. Just comical and hilarious. Um, I think that the team would tell you, well, those guys work in unison. And he just means that Martin is the guy that, you know, organizes the trade and calls the team and talks to the Colts. And, and then he's the guy after that who uh, sends in the paperwork, and so he updated Dan. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, here, here's what I know. Ron Rivera was me, 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 I, 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 right? It was not a whole lot of me and Marty, I and Artie. Uh, me and Marty, me and Marty, me and Marty. The Marty party, the Marty party. We didn't do that. It was me, 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 I, I, I. So it was hilarious. I mean, it was hilarious to see that. Um, I love the idea of Dan jumping for joy that they're trading for Carson Wentz. For a second and a third round pick. That's hilarious. Uh, I love the idea that uh, Martin Mayhew is running the show potentially. Like that, that's very funny. This was all his idea. Like, 
for the record, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I believe that Dan and Ron, what I actually think happened, if you like want to delve deeper into it, is I think Dan gave them like a date where he wanted the quarterback's position solved. I want a QB by this date. And I think they had they were able to do whatever they wanted. And he wanted someone that, you know, would move the needle a little bit who had started. And so they tried for Russell Wilson. And I believe they tried for Jimmy G, even though Ron doesn't seem to want us to think that that happened. And then uh, when that, they couldn't do that because he wasn't healthy, I think they, they went and got Carson Wentz and, and Martin Mayhew pulled off that trade uh, at Ron's behest. I mean, he's not dealing with agents and GMs, obviously. So I think that's probably how it happened. But for Dan to act like Martin Mayhew did the whole thing was awesome. Yeah. No, he said it was Mayhew's strategy. And, and, and you're right. If you're dealing with that kind of money, if you're even trafficking in the Russell Wilson world, and obviously they they they, they, they did, um, the owner has to be involved. The owner may not be involved in, you know, or are or, or, or we going with Trey Turner or Eric Flowers, but he's going to be involved in that type of uh deal. So, yeah. So that was wild. I, I You know, I, I'll just tangential to this. Like the one time we've heard from Dan Snyder publicly this year was at that Maryland gaming board uh, Zoom conference that we saw where he's trying to help get a license for the sports book in, in the stadium. And his one football comment is, you know, something like basically, you know, we, we now have a quarterback and he's excited. We finally got our quarterback. And the, the, I mean, of course, that again, I said this summer, the irony is the guy who was, was already on the roster is the quarterback now that they're surging as they are. Um, anything, I mean, there were so many other fun nuggets in, in this story or interesting details, anything else for you that, uh, stood out, uh, before we pivot to the, to the team now? Um, I mean, I, I guess just reading through some of the email chain with Bruce and, and his buddies, not that it's related to Dan Snyder. As someone who was on the beat, I was just kind of fascinated by some of the NFL conversations they were having and talking about players and things like that and um, the scope of which, you know, they were just as if it was a text exchange. I don't even know people who email like this. I mean, they were all watching the Bears and the Packers in the NFC Championship game. They're like emailing about plays and drives and this ongoing thread about how bad Todd Collins was playing and and someone asked, wasn't he a redskin? And then Bruce said, yeah, I cut him right away and saved 3.9 mil. You know, ha-ha. I mean, it, the whole thing was just so strange to read 10 years later. Uh, yeah. But specific to Dan, you know, I, I I thought he was selling before this. I certainly don't think it makes it less likely that he sells. I'm not sure if it's going to end up being investigations and toxic workplace that gets him or the money. But I, I don't know that. I, nothing can change my mind necessarily other than him coming out and saying he's not selling at this point until that happens. I'm assuming that, you know, they're making behind the scenes, some t- t- type of progress to try to get him to sell, because I think the league and Goodell and the other owners are all working hard to try to make sure that happens. Yeah, for sure. All right. L- let me pivot over to the football side of the, the current football side of things while I, before I let you go. Um, I don't know if you, Oh, you did, right. You watched, the the Rams game last night, right? The Baker Mayfield. I did, yeah. Okay, um, you know, cra- crazy stuff. You know, to to go from, you know, all he's go- you know, Baker Mayfield is sort of a similar to Carson Wentz over the last couple of years, right? I mean, was, you know, he was the number one pick in the draft. Wentz was number two when he came out. They they both have had some success. 
to the point that you know people are really expecting big things from them, and then the and then the, the bottoms dropped out. They've now been on you know several teams, all these types of things. And then May, Mayfield, of course, gets cut by Carolina on Monday, claimed by the Rams on Tuesday, basically practices for one day, doesn't start the game, and then comes in and leads them on a 98-yard drive with less than two minutes to go to win. And what I was watching, what I was thinking about it after the, as, as everybody's just in awe of what has happened, I was thinking about this in terms of the commanders, and that is the comparisons to Mayfield and Heineke are incredibly obvious. They both have the sort of the gritty thing. They've got this like sort of like extra personality. Uh, they're both a bit undersized. It's easy to see them as being the same guy, except that Mayfield's arm is much stronger. And this is where he goes more to the Carson Wentz side. And I think it it's an example of why people can trash Baker Mayfield all they want. And I'm not saying I want him as my starter. But with him, your ceiling relative to other quarterbacks goes up because of the what he can do. He doesn't always do it, but it's what he can do. And that's the thing with Wentz, is that it's what he can do. He didn't always do it, uh, but he can do it. And I think if Carson Wentz, what he's missing here, he does he needs his Baker Mayfield moment. He has not had that signature thing where you're like, oh yeah, I get it. Like we we've seen the big throws and he had four touchdowns in the opener, but like there's there's something that's missing from like a tangible standpoint. And that is just reminded me of that watching Baker Mayfield yesterday. I thought week one could have been that uh, if people wanted it to be, I mean, my book contention is, and I, I'm not a Wentz guy. I, sometimes it feels like people think I'm a Wentz guy, namely because I just think they have to do better throwing the football to continue winning. And he's the guy that gives them the best chance to do so. But, I mean, if you go back to week one, he had they were down in the fourth quarter and he threw two beautiful touchdown passes to win late. The the touchdown to Dotson, the touchdown to McLaurin. Uh, I thought he was really good in the second half of week two against Detroit and for the game, 300 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, Heineke, you know, just can't do that. And it was a really, really impressive outing. Uh, I, I just think people forgot that he had three good games, you know, out of the five or six or whatever it was that he played. His last game, he was playing with a broken finger. Uh, and he stunk. Um, he had two terrible games before that, right? He had the terrible game against the Eagles at home and an awful game against the Cowboys on the road. Well, also, like, he, it, they were miserable in the first half against the Lions. I know they came back and put up some good numbers and uh, offensive line, whatever, but, like, he was miserable in that game. Uh, right, well. but, but that's what I was just saying. I mean, the second half of that game, he, he had 300 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Yeah. I, I guess I don't really care that they were awful in the first half. They scored almost 30 points. And they should have won the game if their defense didn't suck. And, and that was before their defense was playing better, right? So, yes, they, they were terrible for a half. I guess it's good they get to play four quarters, right? I mean, if we only talked about halves with Taylor Heineke, the conversation would be a lot different because they don't score in the first half, basically, with this right. guy. Well, I guess so, with, with Wentz, it's just so boom or bust. And with Heineke, it's more of a steady drip. And, and not like they're scoring a ton of points. But obviously things like moving the chains, time of possession, when people ask why are they winning now versus before, and they want to make the simplistic comment of Heineke versus Wentz. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I do think the flow is going better now. And that's, you know, it's particularly with time of possession. Brian Robbins is a huge factor there. That's helping the defense avoid coming on the field constantly. When with Wentz, it was like a lot of three and outs or he throws 40 yards for a touchdown. Uh, you know, and I think that's where like the 
um, you know, part of what it is. Like, with, and plus, with Wentz's negative, you know, the, it was polarizing when he arrived, and it, it just wasn't. It was just so up and down watching him play, and I think that's why even that though I'm with you on that first game, and a little bit on that second half with the Lions, it just didn't stick long enough because of the perception that it wasn't going to stick. And he kept giving us reasons to think it wouldn't. Yeah. And I think he always will. And that's why he was available, you know, on a third team in three years, right? It's not going to be pretty all the time. It's not going to be great by any means. He's, he's not a top 15 or probably even a top 18 quarterback in the league, but I, I don't know. I, I, the, the way I look at it, when you go back through, I, I kind of have people do this quarterback wins losses thing. I don't play that game. But if I'm going to grade wins and losses based on his performance, should they have won based on their offense and Wentz? Like the Jags, yes. Detroit, yes. The Titans game, yes. I mean, people forget because they didn't score when they got to the two-yard line in that game. He ends up throwing a pick. If they score and win there, that's back-to-back wins before he got benched. Back-to-back, two wins in a row before he's benched. And in that game, he had 360 yards passing, including a 75-yard touchdown dropped in the bucket to De'Ami Brown and basically a 30-yard dime to the, into the end zone to Brown on the other sideline. And so, you know, that that's a game they can't have now. They just can't throw the ball that well. Right. But if, if that last pick isn't an interception and it's a touchdown pass, it's a 360-yard, three-touchdown game in a win, and they've won the last two games he started prior to him having been benched. And again – He's so limited, and he's he's got his own issues in terms of you know taking off and leading you for years and years. But you you ask the question, or I guess people pose the question, like what's different with Heineke? Well, they're playing a lot better defense. They're running the ball better now. They're calling plays differently now, both to McLaurin and through the running game, and all of that leads to the time of possession, right? Um, Brian Robinson didn't really exist until the the final weeks of Carson Wentz, and wasn't the version of Brian Robinson we saw in the preseason until after Carson Wentz wasn't playing. So like all of that is a factor. I didn't even mention that the O-line got a lot healthier. And now I'm curious to see what happens after the Larson injury, because I thought he was an unsung hero for them. But remember they were going through a center a week for a month with Carson Wentz. None of whom were as good as Larson other than Chase Roulier before he got hurt. And so like all of these things were a factor. Um, do I think Heineke makes the pass rush? harder for a team and, and avoid sacks better than Wentz unequivocally. So he makes the line a little bit better. He maybe keeps you ahead of some down and distances. I guess I would like to see what it would look like for a week right now with Wentz with the running game, with the pass rush against your new offensive line with Norwell playing better and the guard position a little more sorted out uh, up until the last couple of weeks anyway. Uh, you know, with the defense playing the way it is, keeping, you know, they get off the field, they keep your offense on the field, so to speak. They give you chances. Whereas in the first stretch of the season, like the defense is on the field for 10 and 11 play drives, you know, which, which is part of why you don't have time of possession. So I think it's all relevant. It's all a factor. Um, but they're winning, or in this case, this week, they're not losing. So, you know, until they are, I guess none of it matters. Well, right. And, and so to your point about what, and I agree with you, like the whole, what I was saying is that Wentz's potential is just simply bigger than Heineke's, independent of what else is happening around them. And that's what watching Baker Mayfield last night is like, he just has more potential right. than Heineke, even though Heineke is, they're very similar type guys. And it leads to, you know, I, I was, I was been, I've been trying to put to bed this whole topic of like who they should go with. 
at quarterback here. Obviously, you have to stay with Heineke until the wheels really start to fall off. But if the goal is to win the Super Bowl and you're getting this close, like if, if they beat the Giants, right, they're going to at that point probably are in. I don't want to jinx anything, but at that point, you're probably in. And the NFC being where it is, maybe Heineke can get you a game or two in the playoffs. Maybe just because the NFC is down and the defense for them is playing well and they have playmakers. But the went upside is right there. And like I said, I think the way Rivera talks about Heineke, where he's like, yeah, 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 that's a sort of tailor. We, we take the good, we take the bad, you know, what, what you know, and go from there. I, I, I just, I know for me, just watching Mayfield was just a reminder that, you know what, there is a difference for some guys. They may be in the category of, you don't really want to start them, but, but there's a reason why some guys you keep starting or consider to start. And, what, that's where Wentz is, and, and that's just not where Heineke is, regardless of what they're doing out there. Yeah, and, and Rivera's made it pretty clear, I think, with his answers or what he's not saying. I mean, he hasn't really committed to Heineke for the remainder of the season, right? He hasn't closed the door on Carson Wentz. And to your point, it's always kind of a lukewarm when talking about Heineke. We'll take the good with the bad. It, you know, he's not glowing. So I think that may leads me to believe you know, he wouldn't mind seeing Wentz again. And and that stands to reason. I mean, he gave up a ton too much for Carson Wentz. So he probably does want to get him back out on the field. I mean, his his best case scenario might be that Wentz is able to play in the last couple of weeks, start one playoff game and they win it. And then he's able to justify that his trade was actually smart and they made the right decision because they just won their first playoff game in 17 years. I mean, maybe that's his master plan. Right. Also, like, you know, if if they go with Heineke the rest of the way, almost independent of what happens, they will be looking for another quarterback next year. Dan Snyder will be telling some other gaming board or somebody, we got our guy whenever they get somebody else. But if Wentz turns get gets going here, even if put the contract aside, they could probably renegotiate something. He would be the guy going forward. And again, I, that may be objectionable to some people, but I'm just saying that's the reality of, why some quarterbacks get multiple chances and others don't. Um, all right. This is lastly, anything else that's on your mind? Chase Young, you talk about a, a, a lot. Uh, Brian Robinson's, you know, become a huge deal. Uh, the defense has been really good, but been a little bit leaky the last couple of weeks on the ground with these mobile quarterbacks. Anything that's on your mind go during this bye week that you want to, that you're wondering about going into the, into the next game. Uh, the Chase Young situation is ridiculous. I, it's just outrageous. Um, everyone should stop talking about him playing next week until he plays. Can, can uh, you imagine the oversight? If we had said months ago that the oversight committee would have released its report <laughs> before Chase Young played? No, but it makes now it all makes sense. Uh, so without going full my guy Doc Walker on you, I'll talk about Chase Young when Chase Young plays. Uh, that is very Doc Walker of me. Um, but uh, Brian Robinson's the man. Um I love watching him. I think he's gotten really, really good. He's back to the preseason Brian Robinson. Early on, he was just kind of a dude carrying the football for two, three yards at a time. And now you're starting to see the body lean, the balance, finishing with power, you know, falling forward, like all the stuff that they liked about him. I think he's outstanding. And I think he's really been a game changer for them, frankly. The physical way that he runs, some of the tough yards he gets, and just leaning and being heavy against defenses for their formula has been perfect. Yeah, I, I mean, the way they're playing now, it's a small margin for error, which is not great. But if you're going to play that way, you need a guy like that 
to uh to to help lead the way. Uh at Grant H. Paulson on Twitter, 1067 the fan, Monday through Friday, two to six thirty. He's the apple of your eye. He's your Nats insider. He's all those things. My guy. Ah, I appreciate it. There's not much to be inside on on the Nats right now, I can assure you. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even want to, I'm not even going to bring up too much uh, that Trey Turner and Bryce Harper are now uh, in, in the division for another team. That, 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 that's got to sting. Uh, I don't want to sad, make you sad, though. Uh, we'll talk, man. I appreciate it. See you, buddy. See you.